Tonight, I went to the scene of the deadly Toronto shooting and met a teacher that was steaming mad at me and not the shooter. It's July 30th, I'm David Menzies and this is the Ezra Levent Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government for why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Last week, in the aftermath of the latest deadly atrocity to hit Toronto, we visited the scene of the crime on Danforth Avenue to see if people were buying the official narrative of the event. You know, that the gunman was mentally ill, and perhaps that this murder spree was due to a psychotic outburst. Or was there perhaps more to this story? After all, the day we ventured out to interview people, CBS in the U.S. was reporting that Faisal Hussein had allegedly visited ISIS websites and had even pledged his allegiance to ISIS. And he had allegedly visited such beautiful bastions of tolerance and democracy as Afghanistan and Pakistan. Now, the vast majority of people we spoke to were very thoughtful and reflective. And then, just as I was interviewing a couple, a woman who it turns out is a Toronto high school teacher, inserted herself into the conversation and what rapidly emerged was a cliché-o-matic rendition of every leftist, socialist, progressive mantra ever conceived. But make no mistake, she was no caricature from central casting folks. She was as real as it gets. Now, I urge you to visit uh, the entire rant, which has been posted on our website and on our YouTube channel. And in case you missed it, you have to check out Stephen Crowder's excellent breakdown of the Social Justice Warrior playbook this woman goes through. We'll link below to that as well. But in this space, I thought I'd give you the Cole's Notes version of her ramblings and dissect her crazy commentary to indicate how just about everything she screams about is a leftist tactic to, sh to shut up wrong think. And remember, folks, She's teaching the next generation. So for starters, as I mentioned earlier, the news peg for the men on the street interviews that day was a CBC report stating Hussein had visited ISIS websites. And upon overhearing this, because I wasn't even talking to this woman to begin with, she says this. Can you please not descend into racist things right now? Please don't. What, I'm sorry, what did I say that was racist? Don't come here. The rebel, really? You, you don't need to be here right now. This is our community. Folks, did I say anything that was racist? Yes, or, you asked if the man, I, well, actually, you asked if the shooter had visited ISIS websites. That is not no, okay. I said CBS in the U.S. This is not okay. I said CBS no, in the U.S. No, is reporting that. Okay. The rebel is not okay. That is, does not represent Canadian values. Why are you so mad, ma'am? This is, this is a news report that broke today. Can I call you back? This is not what we're about. I'm sorry. This is not what Canada is about. Canada is not about racism. Yeah, right off the bat, she employs tactic number one of the left, the racism card. But how is a gunman having links to ISIS racist? ISIS is not a race. Islam is not a race. In fact, ISIS will gladly take any recruit who wants to be a jihadi in terms of being a pawn to bring down the society and install that Islamic caliphate. 
As long as you're willing to strap on a suicide bomb and carry out some carnage, ISIS will accommodate you. Gotta say this about ISIS, they just don't discriminate when it comes to recruiting their angels of death and destruction. Even so, that's the thing with the left today. Every slight or perceived slight is racist, even if race is completely irrelevant to the issue at hand. Which brings us to leftist tactic number two. As CBS in the U.S. is reporting that he it's had... CBS, it's like, that's like reporting on Fox. Fake news, really? man. Fake, the rebel, fake news. Okay. Fake news. What's real news? People that actually have a media outlet that is real and not racist. Like CBC? Is, dude. Yes, like CBC, it's better. It's not perfect, but it's definitely better. Ah, uh, yes, fake news. You see, when the messenger is stating something contrarian to the worldview of a leftist, then it's just got to be fake news, right? And how odd that she seems to think that the left of center CBS is just the same as the right of center Fox News. But that's the crux of the matter, isn't it? Even if a news source that is politically aligned to her worldview reports something that's not in keeping with her viewpoint, then it is therefore fake news. Now, on to leftist tactic number three. It, and the mass, what does the mass shooting have to do with a man that, like, come on, come on, man. What does it have to do with a man who you f didn't finish that sentence? Why should I need to? Because well, I'm trying to understand what you're saying, ma'am. This is what is known as just say something that is completely incoherent and hope that it sticks. And when a leftist is challenged on his or her inability to form a complete sentence, just state, why should I need to? As if everyone should understand such gibberish. And if you don't understand such gibberish, then you are the problem. Leftist tactic number four. This is our here. city. This is our city. You need to we, not be here's here. the thing. What, what, I need to not be here. Based on based on whose authority? Based on my authority, because I live here. Do you? Okay. Do you? Ah, uh, yes. Excluding those voices who are not simpatico with the PC chorus. And so it is that I'm ordered to leave the community, in this case, a public sidewalk, based on her authority, even though she has no authority in which to make such a demand, but she'll make it anyway. But wait a minute, I thought the left was against bullying. My mistake. Leftist tactic number five. Do you live here? And that gives you the right to I tell mean, people to leave? Capitalist mentality. Is it my property? No, but this is my community. This well, We live in a capitalist society, yes, don't we? Yes, we do, unfortunately. Unfortunately? This, yes, very. You prefer a communist society? I prefer socialist society. Yes, I do. Like in Venezuela, perhaps? No. North not. Korea? It, oh, my God. Really? Cuba? Wow. wow. No, I'm, I'm naming all the, I'm naming all the socialists. You're descending right? into your own hell right now. Listen. Well, these are hell holes. I agree with you. Oh, hell holes. Yeah. Now you're quoting Trump. Lovely. That was perfect. 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 I Actually, hope he did a different kind of hole. Quoting, quoting Trump is the best thing you could have ever done for yourself. Uh, you knew it was only a matter of time before she dropped the Trump bomb, right? Because, hey, in the mind of a loony leftist, Trump equals Hitler. And that means there's nothing worse than aligning someone to Trump. Because whether it's Adolf or Donald, those fascists are just so despicable. 
leftist tactic number six. What is wrong with this world is that we don't love and we don't talk to each other. We don't form human relationships anymore. That is wrong with this world. It's not about your freaking fascist agenda in your mind. Fascist. Fascist. I'm going to say the word. Just like you quoted Trump, Trump is a fascist. Quote me on that. Quote me on that. Okay? Ford. People that elected Ford are people that are demented, that have absolutely no social Really? Values. Yes. He won a supermajority government. Holy Hillary Clinton, it's the basket of deplorables card. Wonder what took her so long to utter that classic put down. Leftist tactic number seven. Are you really a school teacher? Pete, yes, I am. Is this how you teach your children, Absolutely. by the way? Absolutely. You scream Absolutely. at them? No. <laughs> Come on, man. Seriously? 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 Are you that dense, dude? Well, I've never seriously? seen you teach, man. Seriously? Are you seriously that dense? Well, I mean, you said you were a teacher, and I'm I just am wondering. A okay. Don't question my profession. Ah, yes, the victim card by way of how dare you question my profession. By the way, folks, this nugget came just seconds after she maligned my profession. Not that I give a rodent's rectum about that, mind you, but it just demonstrates the double standard so cherished by the progressives. All of which finally brings me to tactic number eight, and this might be the most disturbing tactic of all. What would be the charge, ma'am? You're going to call the police? People about stuff that's completely inaccurate and irrelevant. This is You're illegal under stuff. Canadian law? Uh, you know what? Unfortunately not. But if you start spewing racist crap that is hate speech, yes, it is illegal. And yeah, she threatens to call the police, even though absolutely no crime has been committed here. Oh, sure, my line of questioning might have hurt her feelings or maybe triggered her or made her clamor for a safe space which in this case would appear to be a nearby ice cream parlor. But saying something offensive or triggering isn't a criminal act, of course. Well, not yet. But there are troubling signs, aren't there, that we are headed further in this direction, whether it's the police arresting people for uttering a so-called hate crime as opposed to committing an actual real crime, or if we're talking about something being cooked up by our parliamentarians, such as M103, the anti-Islamophobia motion, which may one day lead to a bill that will lead to an actual law, then this teacher would indeed have something to fall back on in order for law enforcement to swoop in and lay charges based on hurt feelings pertaining to phantom Islamophobia or bigotry or racism. And then people like me will be hauled off perhaps never to be heard from again, because she may not have called the police, but someone, and I have my assumptions of who it could be, but someone did issue a privacy complaint with YouTube, as if she wasn't aware that we were filming her. But hang on for a second, she inserted herself into the story and started talking to me, even commenting on my microphone flash. This is the sort of society this teacher and her progressive posse of assorted nutty thugs want. Less freedom, more totalitarianism. And if we don't take a stand and defend our freedoms, their dark vision may one day come to fruition.
DC Comics Justice League hit HBO this month, bringing new calls for, well, you guessed it, sexism. You see, critics seem to think the empowered Amazon women are objectified because they show off their physiques. But my next guest has another theory. Maybe these lonely feminists are just jealous? Joining me now to discuss this is The Rebel's own Ben Davies. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing fantastic, my man. How are you doing? Oh, just wonderful. But not so <laughs> wonderful when I see people going after something from my cherished childhood reading, uh, which is the comic books. And now, Ben, take me through this. Somehow, superheroes, and one of the do rigueur aspects of almost every single superhero ever written is an astonishing physique, both male and female. And now, like I said, take me through this. There's some kind of a problem with a very nice female physique on a superhero like Wonder Woman? Basically, you're right. The problem is you can't be that wonderful. That's just not fair to certain people. And it's highlighted so perfectly. Comedy speaks the most truth, I think, to our times. And Owen Benjamin did this joke that was exactly what's going on in today's society, especially when it comes to the feminist movement. And he said that men are capitalist and women are communist. Men, if they see a guy that's great, great physique, he's smart, he's intelligent, he's a great quarterback, he gets to lead us, he'll do this. We're going to follow him, we're going to elevate him, we're all going to do better. Uh, women get together and they see a beautiful girl and they're like, oh, she must have herpes. She's a horrible person. And they immediately try to tear her down and bring them down to their level. And it's exactly what goes on in these movies. And right now they're being hammered, specifically Justice League, for highlighting certain Amazonian women who have a great physique on camera, while in the previous movie, everyone kind of wore the same thing to make every, everyone look alike. And, you know, uh, Ben, if we go back to the previous movie, that was the Wonder Woman film, which was uh, directed by a female director. And I think that, if anything, uh, they kind of desexualized Wonder Woman. That costume, if you look at um, what uh, the actress is wearing in the Wonder Woman movie versus what the comic book character wears in the classic Wonder Woman comics, it's been really, uh, she's really covered up in the film version, don't you think? Yeah, I think they did a good job of trying to blend it to modern day times. And, they, and I really liked what Patty Jenkins did in the first Woman Wonder Woman. It was really well received. And people forget now that the Justice League movie came out and it was directed by a man and it's getting slammed for being sexist or whatever. The first Wonder Woman movie before it was released was getting criticized up and down for having Gail Godot, a supermodel, play Wonder Woman. They're like, oh, Wonder Woman could, would never be this skinny. You, you're trying to show this perfect image of a woman that we can't live up to. These kind of complaints were levied constantly on the film project until it was received like this. And now you just see the same kind of outrage, but now funneled through a different avenue with the new Justice League movie, where they have a guy, There's this, it's the symptom of the same leftist po political tactic of identity politics, where it's like, okay, it, only a woman can direct a, a female lead movie, and only an African-American director can direct an African-American mo movie, that, and so forth. So this is spilled into this as well, where they're saying, because Zack Schneider is a man, clearly his intent was to objectify these women and not highlight their incredible individual talents and physiques. And I have to say, too, when I first watched this, as someone who's a former athlete and been around some of the best athletes in the world, I watched the scene that they're talking about where they escape and they break down the walls and all these girls sacrifice themselves breaking down these pillars that I was like, oh, these are not actresses. That's really impressive. They didn't hire just models. They hired CrossFit athletes. And sure enough, in the athlete I, or in the article that I researched, I scrolled down and they were all CrossFit athletes because those are the best 
physical performance women in the world. And to highlight them, they had them in different outfits. So you could see how strong they were when they broke down the uh, the pillars. You could see like their abs and they were cut up and like really jacked. And I was like, wow, that's really impressive. And what's funny is in the first movie, these same actresses were in it, but you didn't notice them because they covered them up. So all the women would look the same. No one was individually special or unique. And that was what I thought was cool about the Justice League movie was they had some women that were stronger. Some people were archers and their costumes were all uniquely dim- different to highlight each attribute about the different actresses on camera. And I thought it was great that they used these incredible athletes. And keep in mind, this is the same kind of outfit that every CrossFit athlete wears in their competitions. If you look up any of these girls in their competitions, they wear the sports bra and the spandex shorts. It's just, and they're like, well, you can't wear that because that makes us feel uncomfortable. So we're not as toned as you are. Well, I'm sorry, you're not fit for the screen, but these women were fantastic. And it's a shame that they're being like completely destroyed on social media for just being excellent at what they do. Well, Ben, tell me, um, one of the criticisms, costumes aside, is that in the Justice League movie versus the Wonder Woman movie, that there mm-hmm. was an inordinate number of uh, so-called butt shots in the Justice League <laughs> film, which of course was directed by a guy. Uh, this is from an online feminist uh, magazine that I got this information from. You're you're a film buff. Did did you notice that? Was it was it that overt to you that the camera for some reason was zeroing in on uh, Wonder Woman's butt more so than in the Wonder Woman film? You know, I'm working on a longer piece for the Rebel Media that I'll release on this. And, you know, the work that I do for you guys trying to find every butt shot in these movies, I really I deserve a raise (laughs) from the Rebel. Um, But no, it's actually a little bit more complicated than that. A lot of this has to do with different styles. okay? and then and there really isn't if I because I'll piece together in the video specific shots they're talking about. Okay, and there's there's plenty of shots in both movies. Here's the thing. In every movie, there is this moment. And this is a directing 101 skill that you have to to master to be a director where you look up at someone when they're in a position of power, okay? And this is highlighted by uh, Orwell when he used to cut the floors out of the studio so they can get the camera under the floor to look up at the hero to make them look larger than life, in control, powerful. And unfortunately, if you have you know females that wanna wear skirts and high heels, it's going to look like you're trying to do that. But in every scene where they're doing this too, you're looking up at the men, like having butt shots and crotch shots, but it's just not as like, oh my gosh, you're doing this because they're women on the screen. It, it couldn't be farther from the truth. And Zack Snyder's style is all about moments. If you cut down any of his films, he tries to recreate the most extreme version of every moment in his frames. And that's usually going to be looking extremely up, extremely down. It's, it's, it's just his style of film also woven into it. And it's being picked apart because now you're comparing it to Patty Jenkins' movie, which is completely different. Mm, interesting. And, you know, it, it's funny, uh, Ben, poor DC Comics, uh, when it comes to the Wonder Woman property, it, it, it just seems to attract controversy because I thought we were all supposed to have a hate on for the, the lead actress, Gal Gadot, uh, because, uh, well, in certain circles, I should say, because she's Israeli. You remember that in some countries they weren't oh, yeah. showing it because of her, uh, her heritage. And so I, I guess she can't win, whether it's her nationality, her beautiful looks, the way the camera uh, you know, goes on her body. Um, people are just complaining for the sake of complaining. It's a comic book character, for goodness sakes. I know. And it's the same thing. You can't just appease that kind of mob. Like I said, they were complaining about Wonder Woman originally for all these other reasons. They're going to keep complaining about this one for the same reasons. She's wearing the same costume. She looks amazing. It's incredible. Like I, I think the first Wonder Woman movie was fantastic. This movie 
isn't as good and should be criticized for those reasons, probably because the studio made them include three different origin stories in a two hour movie, which is insane. But yeah, I mean, they should just look at what's been great about this and be happy that there's a female lead finally who's tremendous. She's a great spokeswoman for everything going on with Wonder Woman. And I think the performance and costume highlights how great of an actress she is. It was all it was all about Wonder Woman and the way Gail played her. And it is it's a shame that she gets hammered by these people who are just need something to complain about constantly and just want everyone to fit in their own box. They don't feel insecure about their own choices or the way that they live. Indeed. And, you know, Ben, we'll have to wrap it there. And I would say this uh, to our viewers, that if you think Wonder Woman's costume is over-sexualized, there's a, a more obscure uh, character in the DC universe called Power Girl. Don't ask me how I know these things. And <laughs> I'll tell you, Power Girl's costume makes Wonder Woman's costume almost look like a nun's habit. So, hey, everybody, take a chill pill. These are superheroes, male and female. Uh, it's supposed These costumes are supposed to enhance their bodies. And uh, last word goes to you, Ben. Well, I just want I hope everyone can just be celebrated and not be trying to fit into a box. If you're if you're super talented and you're going to train and discipline yourself, I think you should be able to show it off and appreciate all the work that you put into it. With like these girls who the Amazons are getting hammered for showing off their abs and ripped forearms. And I think the people that are complaining about this need to look in the mirror instead of complaining about the choices or instead of blaming other people for the choices they've made. Couldn't have said it better myself, Ben, and nobody wants to see a superhero or a superheroine in this case wearing a burqa. Listen, Ben, thank you so much for weighing in. All the best. Thank and you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And that was Ben Davies. And folks, keep it here. More of the Ezra Levant Show to come right after this. Environment Minister Catherine McKenna has a brand new way to spend your money, and no, it's not even environmentally friendly. Here to give us the details is Alberta Bureau Chief Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to the Ezra Event Show, Sheila. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Now, Sheila, let me see if I understand this correctly. In Gantineau, there are two buildings that house Environment Canada employees. They're about four kilometers apart, which... I think falls in the realm of walking distance. And um, uh, Climate Barbie figures that we need some sort of a shuttle service uh, every 10 minutes running so bureaucrats can whisk back and forth from one building to the other. Is, is this, do I have this right? You have it exactly right, <laughs> but we need, we need to round down on the kilometers between the two buildings because it's actually under four kilometers and we need to round up on the number of buses. There's actually two buses that will be running on the 10. So every 10 minutes, whether they are empty or not, um, back and forth between these two buildings to transport around government workers who've never heard of the internet or email before. You know, or, uh, <laughs> yeah, or a, a telephone call or, or Skyping. And, 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 and Sheila, by the way, I, I'm just curious. Uh, it looks to me from what I've read about this story is that these buses are good old-fashioned carbon spewers. They're not hybrids or plug-in hybrids or fully electrical. And yet, isn't this the same person, McKenna, who preaches to us, the great unwashed masses, to get rid of our carbon cars and to walk, to ride a bicycle, go electric, yet when it comes to her own staff members, oh, they're exempt from that virtue signaling, aren't they? Yeah, they sure are. I mean, you took Catherine McKenna's advice, right? Like you got rid of 
your regular vehicle and now you drive one of those electric castrations <laughs> of a car all over the place. So, you know, good for you. But even Catherine McKenna can't follow her own advice. I actually broke down how many kilometers this is. Now, it seems short at four kilometers, but these buses are going to be operating nine and a half hours per day. They don't even take time off for lunch. They actually have somebody else who's swapping in to drive the buses during lunch. So that means they're going to be making uh, 57 trips per day per bus. And there's two of them, which is 114 trips per day. The contract is for 251 days. So that's 29,000 trips in roughly nine months or so. Back and forth, every 10 minutes, all day long, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The kilometers for this, 111,500 whopping kilometers to cart around a bunch of government workers who could be riding a bike. And, and Sheila, let me see if I've got this straight too. Um, would these shuttle buses be running whether or not there's anybody on them? Would it yeah. be that perverse? Or would they just be parked there until there's at least one Environment Canada bureaucrat ready to go to the building less than four kilometers away? Well, the contract says they're going to be running whether they're full or not. And if they're, <laughs> if somebody on the other side of the line is waiting on a bus, I guess they have to go over and pick up that person. I mean, it is so outrageous. This is someone who says that, you know, fossil fuels are bad for the environment and the economy. Well, Catherine McKenna is rolling a lot of coal these days to help out her uh, environment and climate change employees who should be the ones who are really leading the way on this sort of stuff. You know, and also, Sheila, I don't know if this is doable or what the, the figures would be, but it seems to me to be the template for an inefficient system to have two buildings less than four kilometers apart. <laughs> why why yeah. not just consolidate everybody in one big building and not have to worry about any commuting back and forth and any carbon burning? What about that? This is the federal government. <laughs> they don't get more efficient. They want me to get more efficient, but they don't do things efficiently. I, I mean, you're so exactly right. Why aren't they just finding a bigger office space, shuffling around a couple of offices so that everybody's working in the same space? No, we have people who are uh, refusing to, you know what, even drive your own car. For the, for the 3.8 or 3.9 kilometers or whatever it is, why do I have to pay to drive these people back and forth? Oh, it, it is absolutely stunning, Sheila. And as you know, uh, earlier this month, uh, we got the news from Greyhound that in the vast majority of Western Canada, Northern Ontario, they're shutting down operations come October. And one of the reasons is that, you know, granted, there are more people with cars driving and, you know, uh, so bus customers are, are down. But one of the reasons for the shutdown is uh, government regulation. And by that, I mean specifically, Greyhound had to uh, run full, like, 53-seat large coaches. They couldn't run, you know, shuttles like what Catherine McKenna is proposing here or smaller buses. And that meant uh, incredible inefficiencies because you'd have some situations on routes where the bus is virtually empty, yet they still had to have that big 53-seat bus out there. You know, Sheila, can you explain to me why the government thinks that they have it right when it comes to bus transportation to begin with? 
Well, they have a right because they don't have to pay for it, David. Can't you see that? I mean, in Western Canada, uh, Greyhound also in our smaller locations where they're not running a full bus, they're also up against a carbon tax, at least in Alberta and in British Columbia. But you see, the federal government, they don't really have to worry about that because they can just reach into the pocket of taxpayer to cover the gas to go into their buses. So they don't have to live with the real life business implications of driving an empty bus back and forth while the cost of fuel just goes up and up and up. But, you know, Sheila, on this point, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to belabor it, but I, I just don't understand what the ostensible policy reason would be when the officials from Greyhound go, listen, we can do this route easily with a 20 seat mm-hmm. shuttle as opposed to this big 50 plus seat bus. I mean, why in the world would you make Greyhound run the bigger bus from either a business standpoint or because this is, you know, we're talking about McKenna from an environmental standpoint, too? David, 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 see, you are, you keep thinking like someone who cares about the bottom line. And we know the government doesn't care about the bottom line. That's why they're buying buses to drive back and forth 3.8 kilometers. You're looking at this through a perfectly reasonable lens, the lens you'd run your household through, the lens that you would drive your own car with. Um, or if you had a business to run. But this is the federal government, David. And this is Catherine McKenna. And the only time she rides a bike is when there's a camera around, not when she has to take files back and forth between two offices. Yeah, I saw that bike riding uh, photo she <laughs> yeah. tweeted out. And, and I bet you that the length of that bike ride was, you know, the same as the length of her driveway. So I'm not buying it. But, well, Sheila, I, I guess we'll just have to wrap it there. I mean, it, it's just, it, you know, it's so disheartening to see this kind of waste uh, occurring, but it, it just never ends. And uh, by the way, from point of clarification, yeah, the new Menzoid Mobile is a plug-in hybrid. And I have a picture of you riding in it, by the way, after <laughs> no, the Rebel uh, a <laughs> live event. So, fake news, so, David, fake news. <laughs> but, but the only reason I, I went that route was indeed to get some of my own taxpayer money back under the previous Ontario regime government that was giving a rebate. So, so there you have it. Uh, don't think I've uh, drunk the Kool-Aid quite yet. So, Sheila, last word to you, my friend. Well, I actually have a petition to Catherine McKenna calling on her to lead the way and uh, be the example for all of us to walk, ride her bike, or take public transportation with the rest of us peasants between these two very close offices. And to sign my petition, go to carboncatherine.com. Indeed. And, you know, maybe these federal government employees should also watch those old participation ads, because I thought that was the reason why the 50-year-old Swede was healthier than the 30-year-old Canadian, (laughs) because we have such sedentary lifestyles. Sheila, thanks so much for your uh, latest expose. Great stuff. Thanks, David. You got it. And folks, keep it here. More of the Ezra Levent Show to come right after this. Well, lots of interesting feedback regarding my commentary on cop killer Richard Kachkar. He was released after just doing seven years of incarceration for murdering Toronto Police Sergeant Ryan Russell in 2011. Kachkar was found not criminally responsible for the murder. That resulted from a psychotic episode, apparently. But hang on here just a minute. In light of the latest Toronto atrocity, 
We've been told by the authorities that the gunman, Faisal Hussein, had a history of mental illness. And so the narrative went, if only there could have been some way to intervene. Yet we know for a fact that Kashkar was prone to psychotic outbursts, with one of those outbursts leading to the death of a Toronto police officer. And yet the tall forehead shrinks and the bleeding heart liberals are willing to roll the dice at the potential expense of public safety by setting him free. Sorry, but this just does not compute. Anyway, here's what some of you had to say. Paul writes, when the system is run by mentally ill, incompetent people, the mentally ill seem normal. It's time that the government is held responsible for the psychopaths they release onto society. Oh, but that's just the thing, Paul. Not only do we have no guarantee that Kashkar will stay on his meds, if he does flip out again, nobody is going to be fired or even reprimanded. They are basing their faith on an inexact science at best, and if something goes tragically wrong, they'll just collectively shrug their shoulders and say, hey, win some, lose some, I guess. And Andy writes, sure, once again, though, those sensitive psychologists and psychiatrists who promoted this nuttiness should have to have Kachgar live next door to them, right? Well, Andy, that'll be the day. I suspect that when it comes to moving in next to someone who has committed homicide, these sensitive psychologists and psychiatrists probably likely embrace nimbyism to the nth degree. And Amy Lynn writes, it's you cons who enjoy stripping away various social programs that can help thwart mental illness early on. You and your ilk made your beds, Menzies. Enjoy. Um, sorry, Amy, the brand of conservatism I subscribe to is all about making the punishment fit the crime. Since we don't have the death penalty in Canada, unfortunately, I would have liked to have seen Mr. Kachgar locked up for life so that he could never take the life of another innocent person again. But it is you progressives who are all about prison leniency, even for the worst of the worst, and add in open borders and sanctuary cities. And you know something? It's only going to get that much worse, Amy. And that's the fault of your ilk, not mine. Well, that's it for tonight's show, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. And remember, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.